This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Wednesday afternoon, February 15th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on this windblown edition of the Noon Business Hour. The birth of a baby can be a hectic time for parents, to say the very least, but it's also an opportunity to start some key financial planning. We'll cover that in our next segment, but right now, reports on retail sales and home builder sentiment top today's data. We're joined by Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial. Services based in Pittsburgh. Gus, uh, thanks for joining us today. Very little information uh, usually uh, uh, causes you don't see uh, economists who are generally taciturn uh, putting exclamation points after data, but that certainly happened today. Uh, with uh, retail sales rising 3% in January, which uh, blew past uh, most uh, analysts' expectations. Uh, what drove this uh, sudden jump in the data? Sales, that's a sign of confidence in the U.S. economy. Uh, on the part of consumers, we saw increases in auto sales. We saw uh, home furnishings, which is, you know, you might expect that to be soft with the contraction we've seen in the housing market. So really, the only area of weakness that was surprising was, was gasoline sales when we had price increases over the month. But of just a generally a very, very strong report. Food service and drinking places were uh, drove the sales increase in the month of January, and, and as you mentioned, uh, furniture stores as well. So uh, America went out for wings and bought a couch, and uh, you, you add that up, and it adds to uh, some, some pretty surprising numbers. Uh, yeah, and, and, uh, and I think that this, uh, along with the very good jobs number that we had for January, uh, shows that after some softness at the end of 2022, that the economy is looking pretty good in, in early 2023. Uh, one thing that may have helped was there is a big cost of living increase for Social Security re- recipients, uh, you know, with the, with the adjusting for inflation that occurred in 2022, so that may have boosted spending. Uh, but generally, people, looks like they're feeling confident and, and consumers are continuing to spend. Now, at the same time, I have this vision of Fed Chair Jay Powell looking like the Grinch on Christmas morning, uh, stewing while the people of Whoville were singing without all of their presence. Uh, They're still spending, despite all of the interest rate hikes. So how does this complicate things for policymakers? Uh, I think it makes more likely it makes it more likely that we see the Fed, Fed continuing to hike interest rates into mid 2023. Uh, so we had the very strong jobs report. The inflation number yesterday was perhaps a bit stronger than the Fed was expecting, and, and we had a lot of inflation on the services side. Uh, and so I think the Fed will be concerned that high inflation could be sticking around, and that they need to push back against that uh, by raising interest rates in the spring and into the summer. And this uh, era of good feeling is also extending into home builder sentiment, which improving uh, in February to the largest amount in a decade, which means uh, home builders uh, are feeling pretty optimistic about the state of the housing market. 
Yeah, it's still at a low level, but it's certainly much better than it was a couple of months ago. Uh, now, we have seen mortgage rates increase with the with the uh, expectation that the Fed will be tightening further. So maybe we'll see sentiment decline. But, but certainly, I think that uh, conditions are looking a little bit better in the housing market in early 2023 than they were in late 2022. Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services in Pittsburgh. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, helping your newborn get off to a solid financial start. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Expectant parents can do their child and themselves a major service by getting off on the right financial foot. Let's get some help from Mark Horner, Wealth Advisor at Fairhaven Wealth Management, based in Wheaton, the website fairhavenwealth.com. Mark, thanks for joining us today. And so much of the financial planning discussion that I'm sure that you have and that we have on the program is about retirement or saving for college. How often does the we're having a baby discussion come up in your line of work? Uh, actually, that comes up quite frequently as well. We, we were just visiting with some kids of clients that are expecting their, their second baby. And so, uh, right, there's financial planning moves to be made uh, along the full spectrum of life, not just retirement. And uh, the, the, the first thing that immediately pops to mind is uh, setting up a college fund uh, for your baby like before the baby's born or maybe several months after. But there are so many other expenses to consider. Absolutely. And so start, you, you hit the nail on the head, getting started right away out of the gate. and You don't even need to wait for the baby to be born to open a 529 plan account or a college savings account for the, for the little one. So getting started there and reminding moms and dads and grandpa, grandpa and grandma and aunts and uncles that anybody can make a contribution to, the, uh, to anybody else's 529 plan account is a, is a great way to start. But yeah, a lot, of other, a lot of other things to think about. You could set up a baby as soon as they've got a social security number as an authorized user on your credit card to get, the, to get their credit history started. Got to be careful with that, though, to make sure that your spending habits uh, don't uh, create a negative credit history for the, for the we one. But you can, uh, many credit cards don't have a minimum age. Uh, talking about Life insurance. So when uh, when families start to expand, it's an, that's an important time for moms and dads, uh, partners to go ahead and reevaluate their life insurance needs to make sure that uh, that the family's taken care of if something should happen to them. And you can get, uh, depending on your age and your and your health, but you can get maybe a million dollars in term in term insurance for a couple hundred bucks a year. So it's incredibly affordable. And then thinking about Along those lines, wills. So who, who might take care of your children if, something, if you weren't around anymore? So thinking about guardianship concerns and making sure those documents are set up. So there's a long list of things. I would say, you know, the, the, the months after a baby is born, I mean, the, the memories that you have are just, they stay with you forever, uh, just watching your child slowly learn the world around it. But uh, all of those financial considerations uh, also uh, factor into the equation. And, and you may be the most loving parent in the world, but at the same time, you might find yourself uh, Googling uh, different species that, uh, 
that have uh, a, a shorter amount of time to adulthood? Why does it take 18 years uh, before they become self-sufficient? So it's, it's a tremendous responsibility. And one of those responsibilities also includes child care. So let's say you're a couple of months out from uh, your due date, and let's say you have a couple of months of parental leave after that. Can you start a savings account to uh, pay for child care if uh, a grandparent or uh, relatives aren't available? Yes, yeah, so that's another that's another great idea. Getting prepared for the for the baby, if the if the game plan is to take advantage of whatever whatever benefits might be available at work to stay to spend as much time as home as at home as possible, but it's not in the cards to just be a full time stay at home parent. Absolutely, getting started getting started right away and getting a fund together to to pay for childcare expenses it makes a makes a makes a ton of sense. So lots of, lots of things to be thinking about both leading up to the arrival of a newborn and then after the after the wee one has arrived. Mark Horner, Wealth Advisor, Fairhaven Wealth Management in Wheaton. The website, fairhavenwealth.com. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, the number of workers feeling burnout is now at a pandemic-era high. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A survey released today by the Consortium Future Forum finds that more than four in ten workers with desk jobs feel burned out. Let's talk about what's getting to them with Tessa White, author of the new book, The Unspoken Truths for Career Success, and host of the podcast, The Job Doctor is In, based in Salt Lake City. Tessa, thank you for joining us today. What is behind this workplace malaise? Well, I think there's a few things happening right now. I think at its core, it's not just about workload, although that plays into it. It's about how much control people have. And when there's a feeling of a lack of control, we know that that causes burnout. And you take the technology and put that on top. There's so many things people have to know now. 211 apps on average uh, in a study that was just done. And 20% of people's time is spent searching for data. That's exhausting. You know, we're coming up on the third anniversary of all of the pandemic shutdowns and people leaving their offices in a hurry and setting up shop at home. And then just a couple of weeks after that, a number of organizations has announced layoffs. I mean, we saw the worst unemployment rate since the Great Depression in early April of 2023. And that seemed to me, even in my memories, to be a lot worse than where we are today. And it just seems kind of mind-boggling to me that people feel more stress now compared to what really were the bad old days? Well, yes, but there's also some other factors. We are seeing a generation, Gen Z's coming into the workforce, so Gen Z and millennials are largely made up of the workforce now, and it's a very different mindset. This generation is incredibly uh, attuned to work-life balance and not feeling taken advantage of and making sure that the relationship between the employer and them is more balanced than perhaps in years past. So I think that that's playing into it as well as the layoff and this whole feeling of a lack of control. And and, and who is responsible for uh, uh, changing the balance or striking the balance or fixing this relationship? Is it on the employee to uh, once again take part in the great resignation and find something that may be a little more fulfilling and less stressful? Or is it on the employer to change the way they things the way they do things in the office, especially since it seems now that everyone's coming back from home, you can start from square one in how the office operates. 
both. I think employees have so much more control, and that's the basis of my book. They have so much more control than they think they have to balance out the scales. I think what happens, people often go to the easiest thing and to feel like you have control, sometimes quitting your job is what is the easiest thing to make you feel like you have some control back. But people can have an enormous voice in how companies uh, run. And I also think it's time for companies to make some shifts as well. I think they're still running in a, largely the way they did in the 80s. is top-down leadership. Take it or leave it. Here's the job I have to offer. And I think that they need to make some shifts to create more humane leadership um, in the companies in which people work. And then very quickly, Tessa, and maybe this this is an observation that I had, too, is the last three years were so chaotic and the threat of cutbacks and maybe the possibility of a vaccine not being developed and that uh, shutdowns and social distancing were going to continue forever. We get through this tumultuous time with our job, with our health intact, and then we get to the other side and say, okay, that's it. <laughs> we yeah, sur- that's we, we survived and yet I don't feel fulfilled. I, I've always subscribed to the belief that you should never be more loyal to a company than it can reasonably be to you in return. And that isn't to say people shouldn't work hard. That's not what I mean at all. But I've been at a place where I gave too much, way too much, and at the cost of my family. And I think you really have to balance out that loyalty equation. And I think there's a way for employees to give a fair day's work and to really work hard, but also to be able to stop when they need to stop and uh, be able to create that that work-life balance. But oftentimes they look at their employer to create that balance for them, and it'll never happen. And an employer's always going to take as much as you're willing to give. Tessa White, the job doctor in Salt Lake City, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The gunman in the racially charged Buffalo, New York grocery store killings has been sentenced. A new study finds people are doing better in dealing with medical debt. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, a unique set of challenges women can face when it comes to money matters. Also on the financial front, deciding what's the right number of credit cards for you. WBBM Business, the Markets are mixed. The Dow is down 82 points. The Nasdaq up 43. The S&P 500 is down three and a half. We have 41 degrees right now in Chicago under cloudy skies. A windy day. Southwest wind 18 miles an hour, gusting to 30. Wind advisory in effect until two o'clock this afternoon. Temperatures holding steady between 40 and 44. It's 12:31. Topping our news at the half hour. The white gunman who killed 10 black people at a supermarket in. Buffalo, New York, has been sentenced. Peyton Gendron will spend life in prison without the possibility of parole. The proceeding was disrupted for about 10 minutes when a man in the gallery charged at Gendron but was stopped by court officers. Prosecutors say his hatred was fueled by racist conspiracy theories he had read on the Internet. 
New numbers track how Americans are handling the cost of medical treatment. The number of people with medical debt on their credit reports is declining. According to federal finance experts, it fell by more than 8 million, or about 18 percent, between 2020 and 2022. And the White House is taking a victory lap. The Biden administration credits the downturn to its policies, including an Obamacare expansion that insured another 4 million Americans during the pandemic. COVID relief funds also helped. That wiped out about $1.5 billion worth of medical debt over the last few years. Monica Ricks, CBS News. It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are mixed today. We're joined by Vahan Jenjigian, Chief Investment Officer at Greenwich Wealth Management based in Greenwich, Connecticut. Vahan, thanks for joining us once again today. Uh, in the before times, before the COVID pandemic, if you saw a retail sales report like the one we saw for the month of January 2023, 2023 that would drive a rally. But uh, it, once again, where everything is keyed to uh, interest rates and inflation, uh, another case of uh, good news being bad news. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, but I'm not taking it as bad news. I actually think it is good news. Um, I think it's I think it's really quite remarkable that the economy is doing so well, that the employment market is so strong, that retail sales are so strong, while the Fed has been raising interest rates very aggressively. Um, So I think this is a a very good sign. It's not something to be discouraged about. You know, as long as inflation is coming down, and it is, you know, we we are in a period of, of disinflation now. That means we still have inflation but the rate of inflation is coming down, and it's coming down pretty rapidly. So uh, I think uh, all of this is very good news. And uh, the potential for a soft landing, does it continue to grow? Yes, it does. I think there's a very good chance we're going to have a soft landing, and I have to say I'm a bit surprised by that. I did not expect that. I was convinced that the Fed was going to cause a recession. Um, While I agreed that interest rates needed to be increased, Um, I thought the pace of the increases were much too aggressive and that that would cause a recession. But so far, the economy is taking it very well. You know, there are pockets of weakness, though. I don't I don't want to give the impression that everything is rosy. Um, For example, I am a bit concerned in the employment market. We seem to be having a trade. um, We're trading, uh, you know, high paying technology jobs for uh, more hospitality and leisure jobs. Um, So people who are getting laid off in the technology industries are not really having trouble finding jobs. But I am getting concerned that we may be trading higher paying jobs for for lower paying jobs. And then when you look at uh, some of the uncertainty that is uh, existing amongst uh, traders and in the financial markets, I mean, everyone seems to agree that uh, the interest rate hikes will continue. Uh, maybe the the, the possible the, the discussion from a week ago talking about how the end of the rate hiking cycle might be in sight. Uh, we could be that that could be a couple more months down the road and not just a couple of weeks. And uh, that not only will interest rates go higher and uh, be held for longer, the big uh, source of uncertainty it seems is uh, where they're going to eventually end up. Yeah, you know, I um, I actually believe that the Fed is going to stop uh, raising rates uh, sooner than most people do. I think we will have uh, perhaps one or two more 25 basis point increases, and that's it. Um, however, I do not believe that the Fed will pivot and start lowering rates. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, other economists believe that 
Um, interest rates will go higher than I expect, but that the Fed will start increasing or decreasing rates by the end of the year. I don't think that's going to happen. I think uh, I think the Fed is going to keep interest rates at these elevated levels. As long as the economy can absorb these higher interest rates, I think the Fed will keep them there. And, you know, let's be honest about this. Uh, you know, 0% interest rates were not normal. Uh, we're simply returning to what's normal. I think it's a good thing that conservative investors can now buy treasury securities and get a decent rate of return without taking any risk. An interesting trend that has emerged so far this year is that uh, the Dow and the NASDAQ seem to be going in different directions, that after taking its lumps last year, the uh, tech-heavy NASDAQ uh, uh, seems to be kind of on the upswing so far in the first uh, opening weeks of 23. But the Dow has been going in the other direction. Is there any uh, anything to explain this divergence? Well, I think it's simply um, a bounce back from the big sell-off we saw last year in the technology stocks. Uh, they got hit the hardest, and so far they are uh, coming back the fastest uh, this year. I don't expect that to uh, to continue. Um, I do expect uh, more value-oriented stocks that you typically find in indexes like the Dow to start doing better. Um, you know, right now, year-to-date, um, the Dow is up uh, slightly. Uh, the, the NASDAQ, of course, as you mentioned, is up much stronger. But uh, I don't think that outperformance is going to continue all year. Vahan Jinjigian, Chief Investment Officer at Greenwich Wealth Management in Greenwich, Connecticut. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, ways women can take control of their finances. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and in this segment, we're focusing on some of the challenges women can face in their financial lives. Let's get insight from Christine Benz, Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning at Morningstar in Chicago. Christine, thank you for joining us today. What is the number one challenge that uh, women face when doing their own financial planning? Well, women tend to have less wealth over their lifetimes. That's because their lifetime incomes tend to be lower than men. And then when you combine that with the fact that women live longer than men, that creates financial challenges later in life. Oftentimes, women are much more likely to be poor in retirement than are men. And there was there was a, a very good piece in the New York Times a couple of years ago that talked about the uh, uh, the, the the share of family roles and how uh, you could be the most enlightened man in the world when it comes to uh, gender roles in a relationship. More often than not, it's the woman who in that particular relationship who has to take care of all of the household functions and is more likely to go part time or take a couple of years off. But if you go part time or take a couple of years off, how do you make up for all of those years of not contributing to a 401k? Right. That is the big factor in the in behind why women do amass less wealth than men. They, they often opt out or are forced out of the workforce in order to do caregiving. And so a couple of things I would highlight. One is that women tend to see their earnings peak earlier in life than men. So if women are earning, it's super important that they're turbocharging their retirement savings during those peak earnings years, which are earlier. So that's important. So is 
making sure that that their portfolios are invested aggressively and appropriately. When we look at the data, we see that women oftentimes do tend to select more conservative portfolios. They might remain in cash longer than men, and that tends to contribute to a retirement shortfall as well. So making sure that you're Investing in an age-appropriate way is absolutely crucial. And then I would also say if women do take a break to do caregiving to raise children or to care for elderly parents, it's really critical to keep skills sharp during that period, especially technology skills. We all know that things can change so quickly on the technology front. So make sure that you're staying current with those functions. Volunteer somewhere if you have to, if you're not doing paid work. And then what do you do, let's say you the kids are grown or your caregiving function for an older adult or a parent uh, has that's over and you want to get back into the working world full time, what can you do to make sure that your salary is still on the trajectory that it was on before the time you left? This is super tough. And that is one reason why I would urge women to stay engaged in the workforce if they possibly can, even on a very part-time basis, just so that they're not re-entering the workforce after a very long break. It's ideal if you can continue to either volunteer or do some sort of paid part-time work. And I would say that's maybe a silver lining of this pandemic, that we have more companies willing to look at flexible work arrangements that can redound to the benefit of women who need to to do a job where they can also stay active and, and look over people at home. And then very quickly, divorce is a traumatic experience for uh, for, for everybody in the family. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a sad time. But what can women do to make sure that their financial future uh, doesn't suffer uh, along with a lot of other stuff? A key one is during the marriage, making sure that you are very engaged in the in the family finances. It's so common for couples to divide and conquer, where oftentimes the female spouse is the bill payer and the guy is the one who over, oversees the investment assets. Make sure that you know what's going on with the investment assets, that you know what you have. That's a crucial piece of advice I would impart. Christine Benz, Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning with Morningstar, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. And still to come, looking at how many credit cards is enough. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. You likely have more than one credit card, but is there such thing as an ideal number? Let's discuss it with Ted Rossman, industry analyst at CreditCards.com based in New York. Ted, thanks for joining us today. On average, how many credit cards does the uh, usual American have? The average is about four, according to Experian. That actually sounds a little bit high to me. I think most people could probably get by with two or three. I think it's a good idea to have at least two, though, because credit cards are an important way to build credit, and it's often nice to have a primary and at least one backup. And then uh, generally, when we're talking about credit cards, are we talking about just the typical uh, Visa, Master, MasterCard, Discover, or do store charge cards also fall under the realm of credit cards? They definitely count as well. They factor into your credit score and report and overall financial profile. So that's actually a lot of times somebody's first credit card might be a store card because they're easier to get and they're pushed at the checkout counter. 
some of them can only be used at that chain of stores. Others can be used anywhere where, say, Visa or MasterCard is accepted. Um, student cards, secured cards, those are often starting points as well. But yes, they all count towards your credit profile. Now, obviously, you don't want your credit card pile to look like a deck of cards used by a, a Las Vegas dealer, but uh, <laughs> it is beneficial to have a number of credit cards and not just one. I think so. Yeah, certainly from a reward standpoint, if you're among the cardholders who can pay in full and avoid interest and make those rewards worthwhile, I think it might make sense to have a foundation like a 2% cashback card that gives that nice rate on everything, but then pick other cards that maybe give you 6% back on groceries or 5% back on travel or dining or whatever it is. Um, now, you have to know yourself. I know some people that have 30 credit cards and they treat it like a game and they have good credit and, and life is great. Other people think that's totally overwhelming. So, you know, maybe you stick to one or two or three. Um, think about things like foreign transaction fees, annual fees. Sometimes they're worth it. If you use perks like the airport lounge, other times maybe it's better to go with a fee-free card. Um, so it's kind of to each their own. But yeah, I think multiple cards can make a lot of sense. How do the credit bureaus view your credit card usage and the number of credit cards you may have when it comes to calculating your score? Credit utilization is a big deal. Credit you're using divided by credit available to you. It's reported on each card individually and also across all of your cards. So try to keep that ratio low. People often say below 30% is a good idea. Maybe below 10 is even better. Uh, you could consider making an extra mid-month payment to knock that balance down before the statement even comes out or maybe asking for a higher credit limit. In general, it's best to have a lot of available credit and not use that much of it. One other thing is don't apply for too many cards all at once. You want to space these applications out probably at least six months between them. And then very quickly, Ted, uh, you, the one, one thing about having multiple cards is that uh, your score is also based on your credit utilization. Yes, credit utilization is an important consideration. The big misconception there is that if you pay your bills in full, you're good. Well, you're good on avoiding interest, but you may still have a high utilization ratio if you use the card a lot. So consider making an extra mid-month payment or asking for a higher credit limit. Ted Rossman, industry analyst with CreditCards.com based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.